Let's get to it. This is Sebi Podcast. Radio show. Streaming only here on WNSC Radio. The college football season is less than two weeks away. Some of the brightest stars, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tagovailoa, and others. Dabo Suni squad seeking to repeat, but Nick Saban looking for revenge. And then the pro football hall of fame we'll discuss that and then of course a special guest from los angeles greetings everyone greetings everyone this is the sebi podcast radio show coming to you live inside of our broadcast studios inside the wnsc my myself and my ride partner my ride partner michael gray again with us this week but now mike is down there in south beach uh, this week as he's over there in vacation mike what's going on nothing man i just touched down in uh the fort lauderdale miami area and you know i'm loving it we got this big nabj conference coming up uh, this week so all is well right now all is good how about you we're doing well here inside the broadcast studios at wnsc here in orlando in the central florida area of course it's hot, it's mugged uh, welcome to my world, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Very it's hot. Like, it's, very, it's very humid out here. Oh, it, it's it's unlike any other, my man. It's oh, it's man. it's unlike any other here in the Central Florida area. And with us today, we got a lot to talk about. You know, as we mentioned, college football is two weeks away. Um, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame was this past week. A lot of news circulating. The NFL and and NBA, of course. Uh, it just never seems to to end, you know. The marathon continues, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does, man. We we got a lot of we got a lot of things to talk about, and it's just it just keeps going. But I mean, I, I'm just intrigued and wonder wonder what we're gonna be talking about next week. You know, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying we're gonna have a blockbuster because it seems like it's something every week. But you're right, it never stops. But I can't wait. I can't wait for the season to start. Right, and with us today, we actually have a very special guest with us. On the hotline with us, Mr. Manuk Anokpan. Folks, this guy, his his track record is really unprecedented. This man, he is a a, a prominent writer for the Los Angeles Times, uh, also the Tribune. He's done a lot of work um, as a broadcaster for Lights Out XF that airs on Sun Sports and has also written for some of the biggest papers like USA Today and others. We're pleased to have Mr. Manuk with us today. Manuk, how are you doing out there? And uh, I'm assuming sunny and gorgeous California. Sebi, Michael, thanks a lot for having me today. I appreciate it. Yes, always sunny here in California. <laughs> Definitely there. You, you really don't experience what we experience here. And there's no humidity out there, is there? No, not at all. But I wouldn't mind being a stone's throw away to South Beach every now and then. That's for sure. I hear that. Oh, I heard. I heard. Well, live hey. is where it's at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey. <laughs> I might have to take a trip myself while I'm out here. <laughs> Just don't do it while yeah, you're on the phone call because we need the audio at you know reasonable levels. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know one thing I can say: Miami's very distracting. So 
it's it's always one of a good place to hang out out there uh, nevertheless but let's get right into it fellas our opening segment today guys is proud and sponsored by uh Haifa Hookah Lounge Haifa Hookah Lounge the official partners and Hookah Lounge of the Sebi podcast show my man that is Zeus and Hector has invited everyone in the central florida community for bucket hats to beers to hookahs you name it they've got it if you want to have a great time Haifa Hookah Lounge is the spot for you and, and, and Manuk, we want to start off with you. I, I mean, what an honor to have you on the show. It, it, talk to us about, uh, you know, most notably you, leading up to the Pacquiao fight. You had a chance to uh, uh, catch him training and and and, and do so, and all of his pre-workout, but leading up to the Thurman fight. Talk to us about that and the experience that that you had with that. Yeah, absolutely, Sebi. I mean, I, I'm sure Keith Thurman is of special interest to you guys in the Florida community. Uh, he's a Tampa boy. And, you know, he, he put up a hell of a performance against Manny Pacquiao. And throughout the entire camp, I, I got to really witness Pacquiao from up close. Specifically, uh, I, I went to wild card. I went to the wild card gym in Los Angeles where he trains with Freddie Roach. I got to see him spar. Uh, he looked at 40 years old, he looked remarkable. He, he looked like he had not lost a step in the ring. And he proved that on fight night. Uh, his endurance is still at peak levels. Um, for the sake of storytelling, I was delusional enough to join him on one of his famous runs at Griffith Park here nearby in Hollywood. The famous Greek observatory and Hollywood sign that uh, takes shape of the skyline here. And um, the man just runs through uh, the competition, still at 40, just like he runs through the mountains for his nine-mile runs. And it's pretty remarkable to see a once-in-a-generation fighter still at the peak of his powers at the age of 40. And next time we'll see him in the ring, he'll likely be 41. Right, definitely there. I've heard the notion that uh, Asians don't raise in, and uh, you know the ageless wonder, isn't it? Is, is that is that what it is? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what fountain he's uh, drinking from, but it would be nice to have that in a few years myself. Hopefully, it give me some. Uh, ho- hopefully, it gives me some performance enhancing capabilities to my writing and storytelling. <laughs> definitely there. Let's talk about the fight itself. Um, I'm, I'm watching the fight. Uh, first round, I already see this is an, a, a mismatch. You know, when when obviously when Thurman got down, um, he got up, and and frankly, I'll be honest with you, Manuk, I was impressed uh, by the comeback that Thurman made. Uh, the the fight itself was actually pretty good. Um, you know, later on in the rounds, there was a couple of rounds that uh, Thurman have have won again. Um, he, he definitely really picked himself up from that debacle in the early rounds. But, of course, at the end of the day, I, I think that's just the fact that, you know, some of the knockout blows that he was suffering from early really made the decision uh, for, for the judges, don't you think? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, Pacquiao approved again and again that he was the stronger man throughout the fight. Um, but let me tell you something. Keith Thurman, you know, Clearwater native, born and bred, he, should, he has nothing to be ashamed of. He can hold his head up high because he gave Pacquiao uh, everything he could. Just at the end of the day, he came up short. I think his game plan just needed a little bit of a tweaking because uh, as decisive as Pacquiao 
uh, won the fight. It was still close. I mean, I, I, I scored the fight seven rounds to five. And, but the rounds that Pacquiao was winning were very clear. And the, yeah. knock, and the knockdown ended up being the decisive factor. So uh, I think Thurman, there was a lot to learn from. And a lot of times you see fighters lose and they are not gracious in defeat. You know, Adrian Broner comes to mind. He, we saw his performance against Pacquiao, and he was delusional enough to think he won the fight. But Thurman was very gracious. He gave credit to Manny Pacquiao, you know, and he, he, held, he can walk out of the ring with his head, head up high, and I think he gained more fans in a defeat than maybe a lot of fighters do in a, lo- uh, in, in a win. Definitely there. Manuka Nopon on the hotline with us. Mike, you can go ahead. Yeah, Manuka, I wanted to ask you, man, because I watched that fight too, and, and literally I was surprised. Not really surprised, but I was intrigued to see that Manny Pacquiao, he didn't just, he came out in that fight so aggressive, and he came out and he just took control. Do you think it was more of a, 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 um, a take about his experience and his technique um, being just overpowering and mentally where he was? overpowering the young Keith Thurman? Do you think it was more of experience and technique? Because I'm not going to lie to you. I thought I, I thought Thurman was going to be the one to come out and be the aggressor and, and really hand it to Manny Pacquiao in his later stages. But Manny was the aggressor. You know, he was technically sound. And he just, he seemed to me like he had the 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 will and the, 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 the his experience alone is what won him this fight. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, Pacquiao at 40, Thurman at 30. It's a 10-year age difference. Yeah. Pa- Pacquiao was already a two-division champion by the time Keith Thurman made his professional debut. So the, ex- the gap and disparity in experience is, is very much there. And one quote that resonated with me throughout the fight and even more so afterwards is when I interviewed Pacquiao's right-hand man, Sean Gibbons. Sean Gibbons, is his, uh, he's the president and matchmaker of Manny Pacquiao promotions essentially puts the fighters in front of him. And Sean Gibbons told me, would you rather have a 40 year old Tom Brady or a 30 year old Kirk cousins? And Mm. essentially we saw that. (laughs) That's quite interesting. So uh, again, the, the age, the experience, it always matters. The thing about boxing is you can age overnight, your legs can go, and, 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 you're, and, you lose a, and, and you lose a few miles off your fastball. Or you can be like the likes of Floyd Mayweather and Bernard Hopkins and uh, some of the other fighters who enjoyed a pleasant run in their 40s. So it'll be interesting to see how much more Pacquiao wants to fight. I asked him throughout several stages uh, leading up to this fight, how much longer he keeps on doing, how much longer he envisions doing this, especially with the, especially with him shaping up and to potentially be the president of the Philippines. And he yeah. told, and he told me he just has a passion for the sport. He's addicted to exercise, and you know this is his way of uh, letting uh, letting it out. So uh, I think we're going to see Pacquiao in the ring no more than a handful of more times. Uh, before he ends up calling it a career. Definitely there. Keith Thurman, his first loss in his career, 29-1 and one for sure. I was a smart guy, my, uh, uh, Manuk, to actually bet on 
Manny Pacquiao as an underdog before the lines flipped, of course, in Vegas there for sure. Hey, that's uh, great, man. Lunch is on you next time. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely there uh, for sure. Um, let's talk about some other prominent um, people that you've, you've covered as well. Uh, you being heavily in the boxing game and a lot of people that you've covered. Uh, talk to us about the recent Mike Tyson interview that you had with them. Um, one can argue Mike Tyson may be the greatest fighter ever. I personally have him in my top three. Um, so uh, talk to us about that and in, in the experience that you had talking to arguably one of the most, most fiercest competitors ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was a, a pretty surreal experience for me, too. I mean, I, I grew up watching boxing because of Mike Tyson. Uh, my, uh, you know, my early childhood was right when he was uh, at the height of his career fighting a lot of the likes of Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis. And, you know, just being in front of this mythical-like figure and getting to know him on a more deeper and personal level was really a unique experience. Uh, Tyson today is in a very uh, unique frame of mind. He's 53 years old. Uh, I'm not sure how much you guys are aware of his recent uh, dealings, but he's now the CEO of Tyson Ranch, which is a cannabis lifestyle company. And yeah, he, he's a, he's, you know, kind of going the Joe Rogan route and, now becoming a podcaster. He has a, a podcast studio in his headquarters in El Segundo, California, and he brings, you know, every, every uh, A-list person you can, you can think about, and they essentially smoke some weed and talk about life. And, <laughs> and, and this is the new Mike Tyson. It's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's all about storytelling. He has a lot of projects he's working on, uh, specifically with... Um, on the TV side and on the content side, but his big thing right now is, is building Tyson ranch, which is going to be in Palm Springs, California. Uh, You know, the vacation destination in the desert about two hours away from downtown here in Los Angeles. And it's going to be this resort where people go enjoy their cannabis, you know, take in some music, get to learn about marijuana in a little different capacity and have different touch points of Mike Tyson uh, at the same time. So if you want to, if you want to take a, take a toke of the KO punch, uh, that might be the place to go. California resonates with me. I believe that's where we met. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know if we will meet again specifically at Tyson Ranch, but we shall uh, make it happen. <laughs> Definitely there. Tyson Ranch and Mike Tyson, a great opportunity there for Monique Onopon with us, former writer for Los Angeles Times and other prominent uh, journalistic papers as well. You know, so you're in Los Angeles, and I got to ask you this, uh, Manuk. You know, you got the battle of Los Angeles going on between the Clippers and the Lakers. So writing for the LA Times, this must be really difficult. So uh, let me ask you, uh, you're the one that has all the intel to this. Who, who's the better squad here? I, I mean, you've got the, the superstars with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on one end. You've got, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the other. I mean, this must be fascinating. And I want to bring this to you. Who's, who's the better uh, LA team to you? You know what? Being born and raised in Los Angeles, 
I thought the 1996 Lakers perhaps had the greatest summer in franchise history. And then by getting Shaquille O'Neal, trading for Kobe Bryant, uh, drafting people like Derek Fisher and bringing guys on like Robert Ory. And then a month, and then a month ago, we all saw what happened. The league pretty much turned over on its head. Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. I mean, it's a really fascinating and exciting time right now for Los Angeles basketball. Never has the disparity been so close between two franchises who are overnight title contenders. Um, but, you know, I have to give the edge to the Clippers because they're, they have been the proven commodity over the last seven years when the Lakers have been in the doldrums of the NBA standings. The Lakers have not been in the playoffs um, over the last seven years, and they're hoping their fortune changes. Obviously, Anthony Davis is a big piece to solving that puzzle, but, you know, they were really hoping to get Kawhi Leonard. Let's be real here. Why do you think they signed that hodgepodge of group of players as soon as Kawhi... uh, Signed with, uh, signed with the Clippers and pulled off one of those great NWO moves of bringing on Paul George along with him for the ride. Uh, I don't think the supporting cast is as strong as it is uh, for, the, for the Lakers as it is for the Clippers. The Clippers are obviously uh, an already proven commodity with the playoffs, took the Golden State Warriors to six games. But... <clears throat> I want to see if the Lakers can first make the playoffs. They were supposed to do that last year, and it didn't happen. <laughs> Definitely there. Manuk with us on the hotline. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, no doubt, man, no doubt. I, I, when I look at it, Manuk, I look at it as when it, the Lakers and the Clippers. The Lakers have the better the better um, two two superstars, but the Clippers have the, be- the better two-way superstars. You know what I mean? They, they not only and not only that they have the better supporting cast. When I look at the Clippers, Manu, I think of five, possibly six, but five players on that team that could possibly win Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, they can lock you up from all different angles. We have to see how it works. We have to see how they mesh together. I think it'll all mesh because of the you know the system and how Doc Rivers knows how to make the best out of his players. But when I look at the two and I look at the two total teams. Right now, I would give the nod to the Clippers, but I can see why people would go with the Lakers. The Lakers are still a championship contender, in my opinion, but I, I, I would definitely give the nod to the Clippers as well. I, I would agree with you. And where do you think do you think that this this has brought back the Lakers Clippers rivalry as far as like in in the city? You know what, Michael? Sadly, there never was a rivalry when the Lakers were at the height of at the peak of their powers. The Clippers were. Uh, still the laughing stock of the NBA, both in the Showtime era and even when they were winning championships with Kobe and Pau Gasol. Obviously, yeah. the the formation of Lob City uh, changed the tide for the team, and Doc Rivers really changed the DNA of the franchise. And that's when the Lakers began falling off. These teams have never met in the playoffs. Right. They, you know, the, as competitive as they might be in the regular season. I think in order for this to be a real rivalry, they need to play each other in very meaningful games. I would, right. I would argue to say that the 
MLS rivalry between the LA Galaxy and LAFC is probably the biggest rivalry in in all of sports here in Los Angeles. Right. I, I, I guess the better question would be, do you think this would start a rivalry between the Lakers and the Clippers? Oh, absolutely. This is now, this begins a new era of who's going to be the top dog in the city. Uh, you're going to see, you know, the billboards will no longer be controlled by, you know, faces adorning purple and gold with, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George's superstar power. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, transition from this new generation of fans. You have to realize there's a group of fans that have not seen the Lakers win a playoff game. Right. That's, you know, there's 10 year olds, 11 year olds, 12 year olds who have not seen the Lakers win a playoff game. And those are, and those are the fans who I think could really begin changing their allegiances to you know, a more successful product. You can only go so long uh, rooting for a losing entity. Definitely there. The postseason success between the two are definitely going to be key. These two teams weren't made for the regular season. They were definitely made for postseason success, that being Paul George and Kawhi Leonard joining alliances in Staples Center and on the opposite locker room, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the standard for the purple and gold is expectations and the Larry O'Brien trophy, of course. Uh, that was a great uh, conversation with us, Manuk. Before you leave here, uh, tell some of our listeners in our audience here where they can find you, of course. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my social handles are Manuka Copian, uh, are across Twitter and Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, whatever social media you prefer. Just don't look me up on MySpace. I lost the password 10 years ago. <laughs> so uh, pretty much, pretty much uh, whatever all the cool kids use, I'm on those. And then uh, I also have my website, uh, www.manukacopian.com, and I post all of my latest uh, stories and projects there as well. Definitely there. We're pleased to have Mr. Manuk Anopon with us on our first segment on today's show, but it isn't the last. We hope to have Mr. Anopon with us back again on our show. You're listening to the Sebi Podcast Radio Show inside the studios of WNSC. Let's go. Hey, hello, everybody. How you feeling tonight? You know what we about to do. We on that namaste, yeah, yeah, ride, pride, and honor. And you know where I'm recording that, right? Boss engineer, that shit. It's been a great, great week, and I want to say thank you guys so much for following me around the Orlando community. I've done the Issa shoot, I've done the hippie hideout, I've been at Members Only, and you know where I've been this whole time, just hiding in the library with Jaden Visionary. I just have to say I thank you guys so much for tuning in with us, and keep, keep, keep popping for the community. Hey, y'all!
the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Myself and Michael Gray hanging out by the sideline by the shores of South Beach. Well, not necessarily South Beach in the Fort Lauderdale in Miami area. We're back here inside the studios for segment two. Uh, that was a great, great, uh, uh, you know, interview there with Manuki right there as a Los Angeles native. He really knows his stuff out there. Yeah, he does, man. I can tell he's putting in a lot of work, and he's definitely set himself up for success. You know, has his own website, social media handles, and everything. And he's interviewed some of the greats. Yeah, he's he's well on his way, man. I'm proud of him, and uh, it was a great, it was definitely great talking to him. Definitely there for sure. Probably the best American and Armenian guy I know. You know, that's a pretty interesting uh, uh, mixture as well. But nevertheless, Manuk definitely standing out for that. For sure. Uh, we switch gears here to the Pro Football Hall of Fame this this week that just passed, Mike. Um, yep. You know, it, it, we were fortunate in our lifetime to see some of these guys. Uh, Tony Gonzalez, one can argue he's probably the greatest tight end of all time. Uh, Jason Witten is right there. Kellen Winslow Sr. Um, <clears throat> Bob Gronkowski, maybe in a couple years, his resume that he's done in the past <clears throat> nine seasons uh, is definitely is up for discussion as well but you know the only tight end to be in 14 pro bowls 14 time all pro and of course have 15,000 receiving yards uh, tony gonzalez for sure definitely hello yeah repeat the question seven Yes, we were talking about Tony Gonzalez there. Uh, right. Tony Gonzalez, uh, probably one of the greatest tight ends to ever play the position. Uh, he was there um, getting inducted as well. Right. Um, and and we, we talk about the guys like Ed Reed and Ty Law who redefine the safety position. Um, I personally think Ed Reed's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. You know, I, I mean, the guy is just unbelievable, Mike. And Ty Law... Of course, you can ask Peyton Manning. He picked him off three times in that AFC title game back in 04. You yep. know, Ty Law, you know, one of the hardest working players ever. What stood out to you in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio? Uh, just hearing, just, hear, just hearing these guys, uh, you know, I love hearing their speeches because I, lo- I love hearing some of their perspectives and some of the angles that they want to take on. I love seeing Champ Bailey's uh, speech and him starting off talking about, you know, um, you know, he, he, he brought in the fact of, you know, how, how you know, when, when we try to talk about our problems to white people, you know, how we, they should listen and things of that nature and things. And don't worry about how it's how the message is coming off. Worry about the, the actual message at hand. I think that was one of the deepest parts of uh, Hall of Fame that I enjoyed. I enjoyed Ty Law, Ty, Ty Law's speech, you know, him shouting out a majority of his family and the, the women in his life that made a big difference for him. Um, you know, it, it was dope. I, I enjoyed, I definitely enjoyed Ed Reed. I enjoyed Ed Reed's. Um, speech from start to finish. It was it was it was absolutely amazing, and you know I I was really intrigued and looking forward to to hearing what he had to say because, like you said, he's he's one of your, he's one of my favorite football players to ever play, and not only just safety, but he was one of my favorite players to watch play. And you know to see that situation and to see all the, these guys pour their, uh, get emotional over a big time event is is special, man. And every single one of these players were deserving, and I think I think that the Champ Bailey and Ty Law and Ed Reed speeches really stood out to me the most definitely there 
for sure. Mike, I got a quick question for you before we continue here. Who's the yeah. best uh, uh, cornerback of, of all time? When some people in our social media today were posting about that, they said Champ Bailey is 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 the best. So, your thoughts on that? Champ Bailey is top three in my opinion. He's top three. He's the, I'm 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 going with Deion Sanders. That's mine. That's my best. That's who I was picking. Yeah, De- Deion, Deion, De- Deion Sanders is my best because of what he was able to do in any system against any receiver at, at, at any given time. He he was a pickoff machine. He literally took away an entire side of the football field. You know, so I, I would give that nod to Deion Sanders. Champ Bailey is right there. I mean, Champ Bailey was a very – I don't really want to say underrated because a lot of people knew who he was and really appreciated him, but – he really is one of the best corners to ever play the game. He's that lethal. He was a play when he was early on when he was with the Washington Redskins. He was a flat out playmaker. Yeah, I'm, I'll never forget that game where that one game when he had, when he really broke out and had three interceptions, and uh, and one of them he returned to the house for a touchdown. He's a special player. He, he really is. I, so he's definitely top two or three to me. But I'm number one. I got to go to Deion Sanders. I mean, there's there's no question for that. I mean, Dion. I mean, he got the nickname Primetime in Atlanta. I right. mean, Atlanta embraced him. I, I don't think Atlanta sports only knew Dominique Wilkins at the time before uh, Primetime Dion. That's the nickname they gave him before right. he went to Atlanta. But I mean, it has to be Dion, right? I mean, he he three different teams he made All Pro. Three different teams he made Pro Bowls with. That being the 49ers, the Cowboys, the great Cowboys team with Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, and uh. Michael Irvin won a couple Super Bowls there, and then San Francisco. It got to be Mike. Uh, it got to be Dion. I mean, the the man is just unbelievable, bro. So I mean, he got to be the Jack best. Bailey is definitely up there. Uh, you got to throw you got to throw Darrell Rivas in there in the conversation somewhere. He's right. in the conversation as far as like your top three is, is concerned. Or so, but uh, but definitely for number one, I got to go with Prime for sure. Definitely there, Mike. You, you know what stood out? Teams. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You, you know what stood out to me? I was thinking about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I heard the speeches. You know, we saw all the highlights, uh, the careers and stuff. But one thing stood out to me, Mike, and I was asking myself, in a decade, from we're looking at from the early 2000s until now, yeah, that's really been dominated by offenses. We're talking about nowadays it's easy for quarterbacks to throw 4,000 yards, 5,000 yeah. yards. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a passing league. It's a quarterback's league and everything. And to me, defense still rules. And what stood out to me, Mike, was we always talk about who's the best duo ever. Best quarterback wide receiver duo ever. Uh, whatever, whatever. Is it Jerry Rice, Joe Montana? Uh, okay. Is it Lynn Swan or Terry Bradshaw? Whatever. You know, we always have these debates and discussions. And what stood out to me is who who was better than 52 and 20? Think about this, Mike. Who was better than 52 and 20? That being Ray Lewis, who I think is the greatest leader in maybe one of the greatest leaders in American sports. Derek Jeter's up there. Uh, you guys say LeBron James, Tom Brady, Drew Brees is up there as well. But one can argue Ray Lewis may be one of the greatest leaders in American pro sports history. Sure. And you have number 20 and Ed Reed. And so we're, we're talking about all of these offensive guys. And I was thinking to myself, who's, they might just be the most, they might just be the greatest defensive duo to ever play the game and probably the most, definitely the most dominant in, in that era. I mean, we all talk about the early 2000s until uh, now when they retired for at least eight to 10 seasons with that Ravens defense. They were no lower than a top three defense every statistical year. 
that being because of 52 and 20. And I'm asking myself, I'm like, okay, so let me go back in time. I mean, you had the great 85 Bears. Course, you had the steel curtains. Yeah. I mean, you, you had uh, guys like Reggie White. He was dominant. Okay, Lawrence Taylor, we know about him. All right, we, we know about uh, uh, Warren Sapp, who's an Apopka guy here in, in the Central Florida area. Okay, and, and, and we know about Clay Matthews. We, we did, and James Harrison, Troy Palomalu, who I expect him to be in the Hall of Fame next year. He'll be eligible for that as well. And I'm asking myself, who in the, in the history of football, who's been the most dominant defensive duo? And I'm asking myself, who was better than 52 and 20? And I had to think, where you're at, Mike, right there in Miami, the two Miami guys, that being Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, uh, that's what stood out to me because uh, Ed Reed himself just changed the game. There was no better player in, in center field than than Ed Reed. I mean, ask Bill Belichick. These guys, they had the game plan for 20. 52, you know, you know, hey, Ray Lewis was there. Ray Lewis's uh, you know, role role in the in the game was early on in his career, he was just dominant, right? But later on right. in his career, you know, you know, age and attrition catches up to you, and he, that's when he became a, a an emotional and a great leader, right? Yeah. And then all of the physical, uh, uh, you know, tools were to Ed Reed because that's when he won. You know, Ed Reed was at the prime of his career, and and so, Ed, uh, you know, Ray Lewis was the guy that the signal caller of the defense. He get everybody in position when Ed Reed was the signal caller of the safety and in the secondary, and and teams literally had a game plan for number 20. And I asked myself, you know, Ray Lewis making the Hall of Fame last year and Ed Reed this year. I'm like, man, I don't think there's there's hasn't been anybody greater defensively than number 52 and number 20, Mike. Man, I'm over, I've been over here thinking about it ever since you said that. And I, I'm looking for a better duo. And right now, off the top of my head, I really can't find one. I might have to go back and do some more research on back in time and stuff. But you're right, outside of the 85 Bears and a few other teams, you know, Warren Sapp and those guys and, and you know, John John Lynch and John Tampa Bay. I mean, it's, it's – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Ray, Lewis, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed really – because what it's not it's not only because they won a Super Bowl together, but because of the longevity and consistency that they had for a long period of time. You're absolutely right. Their defense, they the Baltimore Ravens were known for their defense for majority of majority of the time, if not all the time, that Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were together. And you're absolutely right. So I, I would definitely, I would I would agree with that right now. I, I might have to do a little bit more research, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any duo defensively that's better than Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Uh, I, I, the one that that came up to me recently was was the the 2013 Seattle Seahawks when they just dominated Peyton Manning his last year. Yeah, but yeah, but when yeah, we but, but that was in prime. That was in prime. Bobby Wagner. That that was more the Legion of Boom with Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sherman. So Bobby Wagner wasn't really a known commodity at the time. So I don't know if you can really put him in that category. I, I'm not sure. Man. But but are we talking about longevity or are we talking about just for a season? Because you're right, but. Like the, uh, the, the, the Legion of Boom were, were very nice, and that Seattle defense was elite for some time. But historically, were they elite for the right. stretch, yeah, were they were they elite for the same amount of time that Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were? Right, no, you know what I'm saying? Because that that was that was that was close. That was that was close to ten years, right? Ten, 10 plus. You know what I mean? So, yeah, well, that, that's why I would give them the nod over the Legion of Boom because I think I think Seattle and what they what they had a chance to accomplish, they they just didn't get a chance to. You know, do it for long, a long period of time, the way Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were. So I would give them that knowledge. But you're right, Seattle. 
but it should definitely be in the conversation. But I, I just thought we were talking longevity. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, when you talk about the greatest defense of all time, I think Seattle has to be in the discussion oh, for uh, sure. there for sure. Denver, uh, Denver their run. But, but, right, but when you talk about longevity, it's not even close. I mean, yeah, Ray yeah, Lewis yeah. and Ed Reed, I mean, come on now. Ray Lewis, 2005 Defensive Player of the Year. Before that, Ed Reed, 2004 Defensive Player of the Year. The, the Seattle Seahawks didn't have that. I mean, come right. on. <laughs> yeah, it's the, right. the, just the longevity. Exactly. Of course, and so I, I thought that that was just uh, uh, great there in a nutshell. Is In that era where, where Ed Reed played, you had Troy Palomalu, you had him. Uh, I expect Troy to get in the Hall of Fame next year. They really did redefine that position, the safety position. Guys like Earl Thomas, who's great now. Kevin yep. Byard, uh, who's, who's great now. Guys who looked up to those type of players. And yep. I look back at Ed Reed, I mean, I just never seen a guy so cerebral, you know, I, 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 and and just with the ball hawk uh, mentality, you knew when Ed Reed picked that ball off, he was turning it up for six. There was no way yep. he was running that ball out of bounds. He there was no nope. way he was he would he he was not to be denied to get tackled. He was and taking Sebi. it to the house. And Sebi, if he didn't take it to the house, and if he wasn't, and if he wasn't, um, if he if he was getting ready to get tackled, he'll he'll throw back. He'll he'll do it like we used to do back in back when we was younger. He'll throw it back, <laughs> throw it back to another one of his defenders and let and let them try to score. But he does not like going out of bounds. No, he doesn't. He'll do that little pitch toss for yep. sure that we like to do. And, and one game that resonated to me, Mike, I'm not sure if you remember, it was the, in 2008. Tom Brady uh, uh, went out, of course. Uh, the first game, uh, he had that torn ACL, and the the Miami Dolphins actually won the division. You know, the, yeah. the, this division in the AFC East has been won by the New England Patriots, but that one season Tom Brady didn't play in 2008. That was with Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams, Chad Pennington, right. and the Wildcats. Right. You remember that? Yes, I do, of course. Yes, and, and, and they made the playoffs. It was an improbable season because Miami was picked last in the division. But, I mean, right. nobody knew Tom Brady would go down and the Jets would, would be horrible with Brett Favre at the time when he got traded right. from the Viking, uh, when he got traded from the Packers to to Jets. And um, the, the Dolphins actually won the playoffs. This was this was when the Wildcat was, full, was just in full throttle. No defenses had an answer for Ronnie Brown and Ricky Will. They actually torched defenses. And, and right. the Ravens came as a wild card that year. And that was uh, Joe Flacco's regular – that was Joe Flacco's rookie season. Yep. Appearance. And they were led by Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. And they were underdogs, of course. And what, I, yep. what stood out to me that game is not only, you know, playing as a wild card team and, and like, four or five days to prepare for the Wildcat, they not only stopped them for under 50 yards rushing that day, but Ed Reed had two picks. There was a, there was a, there was a play that, that still signifies to me. Ed Reed was on, on one side of the field, and, you know, you had – I don't know who it was. I think it was Jimmy Smith. Maybe he was a, a rookie at the time. I really can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah. Ed Reed was, was, was guarding – Devon Best, that was his rookie season out of Hawaii. He was guarding right. him at, on a double double team and giving them double coverage because you know if he, Miami's go to threat offensively was Devon Best. But before the snap, he talks about that in a in a documentary. 
uh, once he got into the Pro Hall of Fame, he talks about he knew the play even before the snap was. And, right. and, and the ball was supposed to be thrown on the opposite side of the field. And Chad Pennington, this was like a, a little one of those 30 for 30 things. Chad Pennington was talking about this as well. He said, pre-snap, I looked, I saw who where number 20 was. He was on the far end and double teaming Devon Best on the right side. Pre-snap, he looks up, he sees all of a sudden Ed Reed starts to make way, uh, make way in the middle and then try to move back on the right side, right? Trying yep. to manipulate me. And I'm asking in my brain, what is going on? This is Chad Pennington talking at the time. And and and, and he's saying, What 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 is this? And so it was on third down. And next thing you know, Ed Reed starts sprinting from the right side of the field to the left side of the field and and, and comes with, with that amazing athleticism, that, that skill set that he has, and just picks off that ball, and, and the rest is history. He takes it for six. And I'm asking myself, how, did, how on earth did he know that that pre-snap, that ball was going that way before it, while he was this way? That's unbelievable. And that day really signified to me like, wow, this man is unhuman. This this man is great. That that game, of course, he had two interceptions, one return for touchdown and a forced fumble. Ed Reed, you know, the standard for the safety position. One can argue he's the best. I, 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 honestly, man, I, I Sean Taylor played for a short period of time. God bless his soul. I, Ed Reed, to me, has to be one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game. Oh, for sure. Without question. He's he's one of my favorites that I've, that I've ever watched. You know what I'm saying? And you absolutely I remember that play and I remember that game against Miami. They were big underdogs and they won that game thirty to nine. I remember that game like it was yesterday. That the Ravens defense put on an absolute show, you know, on on both on both sides of the ball, especially on defense. And yeah, uh Ed Reed is Ed Reed is just he's just he's just different, man. He's one of those guys that he doesn't just want to make the play. He wants to make the play and then some and exceed whatever expectations you had of him. He wants to exceed those every every day, every time he stepped on the field. And you're absolutely right. He was one of the, he was one of the best to ever do it. And he was my favorite safety to watch growing up. Definitely there, Ed Reed. The standard at the safety position for sure. And all of the other inductees that were in the pro football hall of fame there as well. Congratulations to Tony Gonzalez, Champ Bailey. Ty Law, Ed Reed, and a couple others that we haven't mentioned as well. This is the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. But when we come back, we mentioned that the college football season is two weeks away, right? So we got to dive into it. Myself and Michael Gray, we talk about the top 25. The polls came out and talk about what we think this season is, some of the coaches that's in the hot seat, and also Heisman Trophy candidates that's right in the thick of things. This is Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Hello, my name is Ian Saunders with Saunders Property Group, powered by Home Expo Realty. I'm a sponsor, proud sponsor, and a big fan of the Sebi Podcast Show. Make sure you tune in. Just wanted to share uh, a few nuggets with you about the Central Florida real estate market. Uh, Population growth is about 7%, which is among the top in the country, especially here in Central Florida. And I got news for you. If you're a renter, Average rent is about $1,600 a month. What if I told you you can purchase a home, a $200,000 home, and pay less than that? Well, we can show you how. Uh, just want to be sure that you guys understand that at this point, interest rates have dropped to a 10-month low, so that means the money is cheap and you get more bang for your buck. 
So if you're looking to learn more, definitely touch bases with me. Definitely tune in to Sebi Podcast Show. And in fact, hashtag Sebi Podcast Show, and I'll help you get lender credits, pay off your closing costs. Hey, thanks for your time. Have a good one. We're back here inside the studios at WNSC, myself and Michael Gray, of course, there with us as well. The college football season is back. Clemson, the reigning and defending national champions, that's two and three years for Dabo Swinney. And the debacle that happened last year for Nick Saban and Tua Tagovailoa, who had big expectations last year. Georgia comes back with Jake Fromm. And, of course, Oklahoma and Ohio State round out the top five in the Associated Press poll. Mike, what stands out to you this season and what you're really looking at, looking for? Mm. Well, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is that we have somebody else outside of Alabama at the top of the at the top of the preseason standards. I mean, we have Clemson at number one. I mean, obviously this is a team with Clemson that built their way up and you know, they've been competing with Alabama for the last few years. It started off with the end of the Deshaun Watson uh, era and, and being able to capture a championship against Alabama. And then last year, they just ran roughshod against Alabama the entire game from start to finish. It was no competition. And I think I think one of the things that jumps out is seeing somebody outside of Alabama as number one and seeing legitimate competition because not only is Clemson competition to Alabama, but Georgia is, Oklahoma is, you can make a, you can make an argument for Ohio State, depending on who they, uh, how how well their quarterback can progress this year. And obviously, you can't never knock out LSU, you know, because I th- I think they literally have legitimate competition this year, and I think um I think Alabama is is it's not going to be easy pickings this year. This is going to be one of their toughest seasons. I think Clemson, excuse me, has cemented themselves as a team that's going to be in the running with them. For years to come, I think uh, I think I think Trevor Lawrence is, uh, is 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 well on his way, and I, I just love seeing somebody outside of Alabama as number one. And we know going into this season that it's not going to be a easy cakewalk to the national championship game for the Road Tide. They're going to have to actually put in some work and uh, and earn and earn it heavy this year. And this is going to be one of their most uh, competitive seasons thus far. For sure, for sure. Uh, a couple of things to stand out to me. Um, Nick Saban, as an underdog, Nick Saban with something to prove. That's that's a dangerous game. Uh, yeah. I, that's going to be interesting there uh, for you. But no doubt, Mike, um, I come to the season thinking that when I think of college football, football this now, I, I think of Clemson, you know? Yeah. I think of, of Trevor Lawrence. I've said this to one of my buddies. I told him he's the best quarterback I've seen since Andrew Luck, as in terms of prospects. I don't care what anybody thinks. I think he's going to be the – unanimous number one overall pick in 2020 NFL draft if he comes out. I mean, this guy, we saw what he did as a freshman. Now, we're waiting to see what he does as an encore in his sophomore season. And so he's got all the tools in the world, 6'5", a big cannon of an arm. He can make every throw inside the numbers, outside the numbers. He could throw deep. He could throw intermediately. Uh, I mean, he's mobile. He reminds me a lot of Andrew Luck from Stanford. And and then uh, and you ask yourself, Mike, if Clemson wins again this year, that's going to be three out of four 
that's not only going to be a dynasty, but you're you're going to forget about. I I think at that point the Alabama era ends with with, with Nick with Nick Saban, of course. Um, and so that that stands out to me. Uh, a couple other stuff that 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 stand out to me too is uh, Ohio State. Urban Meyer is gone. Ryan Day is the head coach now. They got the transfer from Georgia, Justin Fields as the quarterback. Um, we'll see how he does uh, uh, for sure. Um, and and so now the Big Ten is wide open, and wide open means there's expectations for Jim Harbaugh. I've always said Jim Harbaugh should have never left the, the NFL uh, a game. I mean, in three seasons, you know, he won 12 games each season. You know, he had the balls to switch Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick. They made it to three straight NFC championship title appearances. One Super Bowl, he lost to his older brother in John Harbaugh. But, I mean, yeah. Jen Harbaugh didn't do anything to lose his job. I mean, the success that he had in, in the pros should have gave him a shot. And he goes back to his alma mater. And in four seasons, he hasn't done much. So he finally gets his quarterback he wants. You know, Ole Miss transfer Shea Patterson. So now it's it's time that, you know, he brings back Big Blue Nation to the big house. It's back. It's time that that, that tradition of Michigan comes back. You think about great Michigan men. You think of Tom Brady. You think about Charles Woodson. Uh, these great, iconic Michigan players who won in the biggest stage in college football. And, and also John Harbaugh, who played quarterback in 94. And so it, it's time that, you know, Michigan comes back. And I think there's a lot of expectations on them to do something big this year. You're right. LSU's right in the thick of things. Florida will be right there. Um, and, and another thing, Mike, I'm going to bring this after I say this. Lincoln Riley, head coach of Oklahoma, he's been the known guy. I, I don't think there's a better play caller in college football than Lincoln Riley. We saw what he did in his first two seasons. He had to, you know, be and step in for a legend in Bob Stoops. When you think of Bob Stoops, that's probably one of the greatest coaches ever. He, he, he coached players like Sam Bradford and also Adrian Peterson. So a Lincoln Riley, young Lincoln Riley, who's only 30 years old, had to step up and step into that coaching role to, you know, be better than a legend. And all he's done in his first two seasons is back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So now he gets Jalen Hurts, you know, transfer from Alabama to be his quarterback now. If he does that three straight years, I don't think he'll be coaching in a college game for, for too long because he's too good of a play caller. The Dallas Cowboys are very interested in him. And so uh, some, a lot of these things uh, capture my attention coming into this season. What do you think, Mike? I agree with that. You know, the fact that Oklahoma has a possibility to have three straight Heisman Trophy winners at the quarterback position, that's special. That's sensational right that's there. That's sensational. That's it's unheard of. And you're absolutely right. Lincoln Riley's play calling, his play calling is unique. You know, I, I, every time I watch Oklahoma play, it's not it, – it, the reason why they score at such a high volume rate is because their play calling is so unique. They have certain players. It's players on that team that probably have never caught a pass all season. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they'll slip out and, you know, a play will be designed for them to get out and they'll be wide open because of the design and how it happens. And you're absolutely right. Lincoln Riley – like, Oklahoma has been known for their offense since Lincoln Riley has, has come there. You know, they've always been known for offense, but they just put up big-time numbers with Baker Mayfield and with Kyler Murray, and you can only expect the same um, to come out of Jalen Hurts. So, yeah, you're absolutely right about that when it comes to how how good Lincoln Riley has been. I, I think I definitely see an offensive coordinator job in the NFL in his future, you know, as, as concerned. So, you're absolutely right. I agree with that about Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. They're, they're a special team.
definitely there. Uh, any team that's uh, we're not talking about, you know, that's going to make a big splash that's not in the top 10, of course. Being knocked out, we're praying for an eight-team playoff. We don't know what the college committee is going to do. Or maybe one of these West Coast teams, maybe Washington out of the Pac-12 or Oregon out of the Pac-12. Anybody that we're not overlooking that could really make – it can, you know, send shockwaves to the nation this season. I'm going to roll with – I'm going to roll with um, Auburn. Okay. I think Auburn can definitely make some noise this year. Yes, they lost a couple of – two of the two of their biggest defensive linemen in the NFL with Dexter Lawrence and Cleveland Farrell. But at this, uh, not not actually the first. Excuse me. Uh, um, uh, the, the, the Auburn has some very good defensive linemen uh, this past season, like very elite defensive linemen, and they lost a few of them. And but I I, I do think I do think that because of that mystique that they have in Auburn, I do feel like that they always going to compete with Alabama. That that rivalry is always there. But they're always relevant and they're always in the conversation. I think 16 might be too low. Maybe, maybe it's a, they see a consistent, a bigger drop off than I'm, I'm anticipating. But I definitely see Auburn as a team that can sneak into that top 10 midseason and as the season weighs on, possibly get into that top seven to six range. For real, I'm gonna go with Texas. Um, obviously, Oklahoma is the favorite in the Big 12. But Sam Ellinger, who should be in right in the thick of things for Heisman Trophy candidate, if he has a big year, he's definitely gonna go to get himself a trip in New York. Um, he had 25 touchdown passes last year, 16 on the ground. I think that in his second season uh, with Todd Herman coming out of Houston, um, we saw what he did in a small school. Now he actually gets to go to a big program like Texas. So now he's gonna get all the four and five-star recruits. Now we can really see Texas come back to the Vince Young days. And so Sam Ellinger, the quarterback, uh, you, you know, obviously Oklahoma is the favorite. They got the best receiving core in the Big 12, the best defense in the Big 12, the best offensive line. Uh, but, you know, I, I give Texas a, a puncher's chance against them. And I think if they are successful this year, it's going to be between be behind the arm and the leg of Sam Ellinger. And I think Texas could really uh, send some – uh, show some people some shocks this year in the nation for sure. We're going to go real quick, Mike, um, and predict here your top four to make this season's playoffs, uh, of course. Um, who you're starting with on your top four? I got Clemson, um, Clemson, Alabama. I'm going to go Ohio State. And I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with I'm gonna roll with Oklahoma. Okay, okay, all right. That's I'm gonna the, definitely throw Ohio State in there. And then who 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 would be like your top two out, like your first two out kind of thing? Oh, like I, the would, bubble I, coming I think in. Georgia. I think Georgia would be one of my first two out. And I also think that um, I think LSU. I think LSU might be one of my first my first two out as well. Wow, so two SEC teams looking outside in for sure. Uh, I'm gonna obviously go. You know. Alabama returns the best receiving core in the nation. Jerry Judy. Oh, uh, Judy. Special. Yeah, Judy special. I think he's going to be a top seven, top eight uh, prospect in next year's draft. Um, to a tag of Valoa, they've got something to prove. Um, yeah. you know, so Alabama, to me, is going to get in along with Clemson. I think they're going to run the table. Clemson, no, no, nobody's stopping them. They bring nine starters back in the offensive line. Trevor Lawrence is still there. 
Um, they've got two unique and special receivers, Mike. Both 6'5", both run a 4'3", and both got hands. That's T. Higgins and Justin Ross. They were two freshmen last year in the national title game. You've seen some spectacular grabs they had last year. Imagine them with a full off season again this season. Clemson's going to run the table. They're going to go undefeated. They're going to get in. I also like Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma getting in. And here's my surprise. I like Michigan. Uh, this is the year that I think Jim Harbaugh gets over the hump uh, in the Big Ten. I think they win the Big Ten. Ohio State is still going to be there. They're the favorites, of course. But I think this is the year that John Har- J- Jim Harbaugh excuse me, gets it done. And this is the big reason why. They get Ohio State at Michigan this year. If they can't beat them at home, I don't know who can. So I got Michigan at four. And then also my first two out would be Georgia and UCF. Come on now. We've been we've been robbed <laughs> the last couple of years, Mike. We've been robbed the last couple of years. Yeah. We don't have Mackenzie Milton, but we're still one of the more explosive offenses in all of college football. We're going to put up 40, 30-plus points a game. And so I think uh, UCF will be one of the first two outs there as well. Um, I may be biased there, right? <laughs> no, yeah, you may be biased, but I think you might have a legitimate point because you could make the argument that UCF had a legitimate chance to be not only one of the first four out this year, but be one of the first four in. They had they, the record that they had. They, I mean, they, correct me if I'm wrong. You would know this better than me, but they went on a stretch where they won what 33 straight games, right? That's at, right. At one point, and it just it's just the loss that they had last year was a loss that wasn't easy. You know, it was a loss they had to work for, and they lost one of their best players. Right. The injury. So I, right. I, it's, it's not really far-fetched to see that UCF would, would, would be out of the top – would be in the top six teams in the, in the country because they, they, they've they been knocking on the door for the last few years. Definitely there. Tuxedo's Fiesta Bowl, we had a 14-3 lead against LSU and then everything went to a downfall <laughs> from there first. Quickly here before we leave, Mike, um, when we're looking at in New York, maybe early – early December, we're picking our Heisman Trophy winner. Who will that be? Well, we're picking our Heisman Trophy winner up there in New York. Just early December, Mike, who's going to be the Heisman Trophy winner this year? We was just talking about him, Sebi. I would have to give that I have to give it to him because I think he's going to have another great year. I think he's going to I think his confidence went through the roof after defeating Alabama in the championship. It's not even just the fact that they beat him. It's how they won. You know, he just looks so calm and confident out there in the biggest moment, in the biggest stage, in the biggest game of his career against arguably the best defense that he had to go up against. And, you know, to see that, to see how confident he was, I think, you know, he comes back this next season and he just absolutely dominates. He he leaves it all out there on the field. And um, he, he lets act as his supporting cast, like you said. Having two six five, two six five receivers at your disposal is, is great for any quarterback. Right. Let alone right. a quarterback that, that that we know is capable of getting the job done, like a Trevor Lawrence. So I definitely see Trevor Lawrence making it happen this year, getting the Heisman Trophy winner. I think Tua Tagovailoa would have something to say about that too, along with Jalen Hurts. But I but I definitely would give the nod to Trevor Lawrence because of what's surrounding him and the, his supporting cast will definitely enable him and help him out in order to get in that happen. But he, he he's definitely my front runner for sure. Now, now this is interesting, Mike, because last year, Tua Tagovailoa didn't do anything not to win it. It's just Baker Mayfield was that special Tua last year, 43 touchdowns to six interceptions. I think if any other year anybody signs up for that, I think he would have won it. Uh, I mean, he had a phenomenal year. 
uh, of course. But what, what what stands out to me with Tua is when he's he's injury prone a lot. We've seen him banged up, and when he plays some of the biggest defenses, he doesn't play well. We saw back to back years against Georgia, you know, a great defensive team in the SEC. You know, Kirby Smart's team coming from that uh, Nick Saban tree. They played against them. He had a completion percentage and a passer rating of 51. And I think his completion percentage was like in the low 40s. That's not going to get it done. That's not too a tag of a lower life. We're not accustomed to that. When he played uh, Clemson, you know, the game plan was was excellent. And obviously he was poor. Two touchdowns, two two picks. So two tag of a lower, as great as he is, he hasn't done it against the great defenses. And I fear if he goes up against a Michigan defense, Ohio State defense, a, a Georgia defense that they play every year, uh, how will he bounce back his junior season now? So that's the key to me. But I got to go with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he brings back uh, Travis Etienne for his senior year. I mean, he's he could be right in the thick of things for a Heisman Trophy winner this season. And then you bring back those two studs outside, T. Higgins and Justin Ross. I mean, just throw it up anywhere in their radius. They're going to grab it. And so – Trevor Lawrence, you bring back all nine starters on offense, all five offensive linemen. Like a Clemson to me is not only the clear cut favorite to to not only win the national title and repeat his champs, but Trevor Lawrence is is definitely going to be my Heisman Trophy winner. But it's going to be funny, Mike, because every time we predict these these things, of course, next thing you know you see some random dude. Yep, I don't know where. To New York. Yep, exactly. <laughs> some some type of running back, maybe Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. Yep. Or maybe you know some Pac-12 dude we haven't heard of. Yeah, exactly. But that's the beauty of college football and football in general. This is the Savvy Podcast Radio Show for myself and Michael Gray, coming to you live from the Sunshine State. We're starting so long from now, inside the broadcast of WNSC. You've missed some of our recordings or some of our episodes? Have no fear. The Sebi Podcast experience is still here. You can check us out at our website at sebipodcast.info. Again, that is sebipodcast.info for any of our audio segments on Spotify and iTunes and some of our streaming visuals on our YouTube website and links there at sebipodcast.info some cool merch if you want to dm us and send us all of your email requests we'll be sure to get them here on the sebi podcast experience and remember folks whether you're listening on air or viewing online sebi podcast is wherever you go and that is the slogan